Paul approached me, I don't know what, maybe six months ago, <laughs> something, something like that. He, he asked me if I'd teach class on Wednesday night, and I said, uh, hmm. I said, yeah. I said, if, if I could teach a methods of Bible study, I said, I just have one uh, uh, condition. I said, you have to help me. You have to uh, teach uh, with me. And uh, I want to emphasize, as, uh, as I have uh, to uh, Paul and to the elders, that this course is not me. This course is Paul and I. And this is going to be a team-taught uh, course. Uh, the other thing is that uh, this course is uh, not going to uh, generate a whole bunch of notes for your notebook. Uh, I'm going to give you some handouts uh, to talk a little bit about uh, method and uh, some uh, uh, things like that. But basically, uh, I'm going to demonstrate what we're going to do. And uh, uh, Paul and I are going to walk you through this uh, whole thing. I'm not athletic. I played uh, football in high school. And I'm, I'm sorry, middle school, but n never played uh, basketball, football, or anything like that. I got roped into uh, coaching Heather's uh, soccer team after I was an assistant uh, coach for a while. But I'm going to use the model here of what Paul and I are trying to do of uh, a coach and a team. The uh, coach's job is to teach the uh, players where they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do, and uh, walk them through the uh, process. I didn't play soccer. All the girls on my soccer team probably were better at it than I was. But I coached, and I know I know how to coach a team. And... I think that Paul and I can uh, put you in the right position and take you through the process and coach you to do what we enjoy doing. The uh, best course I had, I guess, in seminary, the most seminal course was the course in Methods of Bible Study by uh, Prof. Hendricks. And uh, on the page that talks about the overview of classes one to three, we are uh, going to introduce you to some of the methods of Bible study and some of the helpful books and some of the tools. And our hope is that this will help you to become a more enjoyable reader of the Bible, that will help you to read the Bible with more profit. One of the books that's not available anymore was the book by uh, Anita Walls, The Joy of Discovery. There's another book that I didn't list here by a literary, uh, literature prof at Wheaton College who was the president for a while called Words of Delight. And that's what we want to do is to make you enjoy your Bible by helping you get uh, more out of it. So uh, that's essentially what we're going to do. I'm going to try to take uh, only half of the class period to introduce you to each of the uh, 
steps that we do. We've given you a short overview of the class, all uh, nine sessions of the class, to show you where uh, we're going. And there'll be handouts as we go. So uh, that takes us through points A and B, purpose, overview. Let's jump back here to the introduction and overview of class uh, one to three. The uh, method of Bible study, and you probably heard this from introduction and overview of classes one to three. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, by the way, at any time, this class is for you. See, so uh, if at any time I'm not where you want to be, or I'm not making myself clear, raise your hand. Okay? You've probably heard this before by some of our seminary students, and you may have even heard me say this. The methods of Bible study involves three steps. Observation, interpretation, application. And we're going to start tonight uh, with an example. I think Stan has already been through this example. He may not have been in the men's Bible study when we uh, did this particular passage. But observation involves what is there? What do you see? What do you observe in the passage? So you take a passage, a verse, a paragraph, a chapter. Uh, what do you see? And Prof. Hendricks says uh, there are six little questions here that you uh, ask. Who? What? When? Where? Why? I've added how and wherefore. They're all W's. Okay, don't just give a, 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 an answer here. You're basically, I'm going to switch metaphors here from coach to team members to you witnessed. See, you witnessed an accident or you witnessed a robbery or you witnessed a murder. Okay, those, those questions. Okay, when you witness, you want to be real specific because the detective is not going to be, well, I saw a man shoot another man. He's not going to be, uh, uh, he's not going to let you get by with that. How tall was he? What nationality was he? Was he bald? Uh, was he fat? Was he, uh, what was he wearing? Uh, do you know this man? So Paul is going to ask you some questions, you know. The passage that we're going to go through is going to involve some people. He's not going to let you just say, this, see. He's going to ask you, who in the world is that? See, Because you're going to be a witness. So when we get to that, then uh, who, what, when, where, why, how, and wherefore. Okay, so you need a pencil and a piece of paper when you're uh, studying. Uh, the second step is interpretation. What in the world does it mean? So when you go to trial, the lawyer is going to try to put this thing in context. See, you got a defense lawyer and you got a prosecutor and they're going to look at it and they're going to put a little spin on it. See, this spin and that spin 
And so you got these two guys who are, hmm, hmm, yeah, this is what happened. Nah, nah, you know, see. So you're going to be arguing here about what does it mean? So uh, Paul will take you through that, by the way. Paul is going to give you all the answers tonight, see, this, with this passage. I'm just introducing you to this. Paul is the answer man here, see. All right, it's going to involve uh, putting the data into context. The literary context is going to involve words. It's going to involve grammatical structures. It's going to involve connections within a paragraph, this verse with this verse. And maybe it'll take you back into a, a different context, see, the context that precedes. And maybe it'll lead, the wherefore is going to lead you to a, Another context. So this is talking about the literal, literary context. The terms, the connections, the phrase, the paragraph, sentence, the chapter, the story. Uh, when you're dealing with terms, by the way, you're always going to have problems with figures of speech. Particularly when we get into the hymnic literature, which are the Psalms, the prophets. Some of the prophets are, are uh, poetic. And they're very full of uh, figures. When we get to the prophets, we're going to study a passage in the book of Amos. And that passage is all full of figures. See, and so you're going to have to do a little uh, searching for what in the world is going on here. And don't tell me, by the way, that uh, you don't know what figures are. Every one of us uses figures at some time or another. See, even that is a little bit figurative. Every one of us. You know, what the figure hyperbole means? What is hyperbole? Exaggeration. See, every one of us. The whole world went after him. And figures, by the way, are native to different cultures. Unfortunately, Berlin is not here, but uh, that'll cost you an arm and a leg. See, that'll cost you an arm and a leg. That's a figure. See? That's not the same as they say in Spanish. That's the eye of your face. Okay, and we've gone through a whole bunch of, uh, of those. And, and you... So, that's going to involve uh, that. So, we'll briefly introduce you to different kinds of uh, figures. Uh, genre is very important. This book uh, by Thea and Stewart, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, that's an emphasis of that book, genre. But I'm going to give you a two-page thing with different genres. Because there's a difference between reading a letter and reading a law brief. In reading a newspaper and uh, watching a TV show or different things like that. See, there's, there's different kinds of things. There's even different kinds of letters, by the way. My wife wrote me a kind of letter that the uh, president of the seminary didn't write me. See, so there's a difference in genre, the types of letter uh, literature. There are essentially three different types. Uh, expository, which is the development of an idea or an argument. Paul's epistles, for instance, 
We're going to look at Ephesians 2, and uh, that's an example of an expository uh, narrative, story, history, gospel, parable. Uh, we're going to look at uh, the book of Jonah, and I'm going to use the book of Ruth to illustrate. The book of, Illu- of Ruth is an excellent example of narrative literature. And then we're going to look at poetic literature, uh, some of the kinds of the Psalms, which you'll have to learn how to look at uh, parallelism, and prophecy. And we're going to try to relate the two testaments together a little bit here. All right, you have to put the data into a time framework, a historical framework. Uh, Old Testament uh, time frame, patriarchs, and who are we talking about when we're talking about patriarchs? Okay, we're talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, etc. Mosaic time frame. Okay, that's going to put you in a legal literature, but it's also got some narrative involved in it. Uh, the book of Judges. Okay, that's a kind of narrative literature. Uh, the monarchy, the exile, the intertestamental period. Okay, all of those are dealing with different types of literature. The cultural you're going to have pastoral literature, nomadic literature, customs, the empire, the Babylonian customs, the Persian customs, the Greek, uh, Romans. We just finished the book of uh, Esther with Gordon. And there you have to understand Persian customs. And because Ahasuerus could make a decree that was unbreakable. Ahasuerus has such uh, power that if he didn't beckon you to come forward, put out his uh, scepter, you're dead meat. So there are different customs that are involved. We'll get into a bunch of that in the book of Ruth. Uh, You can completely misread the book of Ruth, by the way, in the third chapter. Naomi tells uh, Ruth to go down to the threshing floor to watch where Boaz lays down to go and uncover his feet and he would tell you what you are to do. You put that in a modern context. Mm -mm. But there's some customs that's going on there. Okay, what she's doing is she's carrying out Naomi's instructions and he understands her to be asking for Goel marriage, which is exactly what he was, she was doing. She's asking him to marry her because he goes on and says, your chesed, your loyal love, in asking me to marry you is greater than your loyal love in coming to Israel with Naomi. You've got to look at the story. I've heard people talk about this as a love story. This is not a love story. And the customs in this passage, okay, the fourth chapter can be misunderstood too if you don't understand the customs. Okay, theological. I'm not going to let you, by the way, read the New Testament back into Genesis or Exodus or the Psalms 
or the prophets. I'm not going to let you do that because they are post-event. And the writer of the book of Genesis is giving you what you are to understand at that particular point. Now, what Paul does with it later on, afterwards, is what Paul Harvey would call the rest of the story. Okay. When Paul says it means that, it means that, but it means that not in its original context, but in its other context. So I'm always going to ask you context. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to put it into context. All right, that's what we mean by observation interpretation. The application, and I'm still working on this, by the way, what does it mean in my life, in the life of the church? And I've been working on this, by the way, and seeing what Paul does with this, but this is very important for us, and this is the emphasis, by the way, in Dr. Hendrick's book. Okay, I need to go somewhere else here. The title of his book is Living by the Book. And it has to do with living. If you look at these passages, and Ephesians 2, by the way, ends that way. The emphasis is always on a changed life. Shall I introduce you, sir? Many of you know Jim, Jim Hummel. Some of you do. Some of you know Jim Hummel. But uh, Jim has asked Paul if he could teach course on Ephesians using this method. Okay, and I know from what Jim has done in the past that Jim is going to emphasize living. See, what does it mean? Okay, so I'm, before I turn this over to Paul, I'm going to talk about these verses. Okay, Uh, Ben Pagis had a course on inspiration in the authority of the Bible. Okay, the Bible, Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, which was his mother and his grandmother and Paul, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Paul doesn't get away very much, by the way, from the target. Salvation is through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. That's living. See, All the way back to the law of Moses, that's what God was trying to get from the people of God. Righteousness. How do you get there? Give them a law. See? Give them a law. They'll do it. Mm-hmm. Didn't work that way. See? So Jesus Christ came and died, and you don't get to be righteous apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Okay, this is this is the communal part, and uh, some of you have heard me say this. I mean, the passage in Hebrews 10 and this passage, uh, I'm fully convinced that the spiritual life is not lived alone. It's lived in community with the church of Jesus Christ. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's communal. See, I don't grow apart from you. Then we will no longer be infants, we, tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, that is the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay, That's why I'm here. That's why Jim's here. That's why Paul's here. Okay? Okay, I've given you a sheet here that has the NIV on the top and the NLT on the bottom. This passage came up in the men's Bible study, <laughs> and uh, uh, Jeff pointed some things out, Jeff uh, uh, Goins, <laughs> when, uh, when, when we did this, and I said it blew my socks off. I said, I've never really seen this before. I hope Paul walks you through this, and you have an aha moment, or a couple. Paul, it's your turn. Okay. Um, let's, if you have your Bible or else pull out that sheet, turn to Mark um, chapter 12, verses 13, 13 to 17. And let me just go ahead and read it. Um, you can follow along. I'm reading from the ESV um, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of, of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. In our method here, the first thing that we would want to learn is the observation and so let's look at some of the the past the parts of this and um and i'll just kind of go through some and then get get your answers 
in verse 13 it says, and they. Who, who is the they? Ju- Jewish leaders. And if you go back in the context, like going back all the way to um, chapter 11 and, and, verse, and verse 27. And they came again to, to Jerusalem and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. So it is the Jewish, the Jewish leaders, is the they. Okay, and now, we, we, you know, one of the things that we were trying to find is the who. We have here Pharisees and, and the Herodians. Who are the Pharisees? That studied the law. Okay, they did. They, they studied the law. What else can we say about the Pharisees? Well, they were very conservative, probably. Yes, very, very conservative. Um, okay. Were they, were they self-righteous? Yes. Very much. I don't know. They thought they knew. Thought they knew what? Everything. They thought they knew the what? The law. Okay, and they were going to. Follow the law. They were going to follow the law. Okay. Go ahead, Paul. Okay, good. Um, how do they feel about Rome? Okay. Okay, so we had the, the Pharisees then who are, you know, they, they have studied the law. They are trying to follow it. They're very conservative. They um, are anti-Rome. They're pro-Jewish. Um, and now we look at, at, at the Herodians. Who, who, are the, who are the Herodians? Okay, good, good. So we have this conflict here of these two groups that are just the opposite ends of the, of the spectrum here. And they're coming to Jesus, and what are they trying to, trying to do by asking him these? Yeah, look at look this at the, question. Look at the different translations, by the way. This is the NIV, trying to catch him in his words. What do some of the other translations say? They were trying to trap him. Okay. Because he's in a situation, by the way, where he's damned if he does and damned if he don't. Yeah, they tried to trap him. <laughs> Didn't make any difference which way he, he, he answered. Somebody wasn't going to be happy. That's right. So he had the situation. He's there, you know, they're going to pit him against both these groups, and he's going to make one of them one of them <laughs> unhappy. So, what did Jesus have have them do? How did he answer this? Wait, well, before you get there, by the way, what are these people doing? See, how do they respond? Oh, yes, yes, I had, I had that. Um, what, what, what? How do they come to come to Jesus? What, what do they say to him? That's right. They're, they're trying to butter him up. That's right. They're trying to trying to flatter him. You know, they say that um, you truly teach the the way of God. You're you're not swayed by by 
appearances. You not care about any, anyone's opinions. So um, they're they're really trying to, you know, set him up set him up for the trap. Um, now, what was the question? Or um, the, the question then was: Is it lawful to pay taxes or, or not? And how does Jesus answer him? And so, what did what did he ask him for then? Bring bring a coin, a, a denarius. Um, we have a little technical problem here. Uh, that's right. Okay. And um, what does he ask him about this coin? About about the denarius. Okay, that's right. Whose image is this? And um, they tell him that it is it is Caesar's. And so, how, how what point then does he he make out of, out of this? Okay, so he's making a distinction here, a clear distinction between the things that belong belong to God and the things that belong belong to government. There's a separation between, as we say, the the, the government and, and, and church. Um, and he based that on the image that was on the coin, and that was the image of of um, Caesar. Now, in his answer, he says, "You know, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render to God the thing, things that are God's." There's an implied comparison, but only half of it is is given here. What what is the other half of, of the comparison? Yes. Things that are God's. Okay, so you have image on one hand, image of Caesar, things that belong to Caesar. You have things that that belong to God. So what do you have here on on this other side? Okay, the image the image of of God. Now, whose whose image are we? Well, not Caesar. That's right. <laughs> So what, what what belongs to God? Every everything. See, we are made in the image of God. We belong to God. So what belongs to God? We do. And that's that's the kicker in this whole business. See, the Jews, the Pharisees, by the way, were being lambasted by Jesus because they were doing what? Not giving to God what is God. You are hypocrites. You tithe mint and cumin and you neglect what? Keep going. Neglect the greater things of God which are Mercy, justice, righteousness. They're asking the wrong question. They're asking the wrong question. Okay, but this is kind of the the method that that we that we use here. We we come to the text and we ask the questions about the text. And in our observation phase, what we want to do then is just write down many of the observations that we can about about the, the text that we're looking at. Um, think to yourself, who, who's involved? What is the context involved? What is the, the point? You know, um, 
how are they making it? And try to answer all these questions that are um, that were given to us here, and may, just make a list of, of the observations. You're, you're not trying to at this point figure out the meaning, but just try to get as many observations of the text as as, as is possible. So um, for for next week, your assignment then is to go to <coughs> Acts one eight and to make as many observations on uh, Acts 1-8 as as possible. Okay, what does the word but do? It's a connector, which means that you do have what? You have to look back. So don't just read Acts 1-8. You're going to have to read what comes before. Yes, and maybe six. And maybe uh, first one. <laughs> well, tell, tell them you and Paul both would have crop hindrance. How how many observations you have? Oh, to come out oh, with? oh! Yes, you start off with ten, and then you go to twenty-five, and then you go to a hundred. See. On verse. Uh, no. He'd send them away. You know, they'd come in with ten, and he'd say, "Now come back with." See, because what, you, what you're doing with, with, uh, with that, and this is still in the observation stage, see. You're looking at how that verse fits within the paragraph. You're looking at how, see, this is part of the introduction to the book of Acts. See, and ultimately, this, that verse, by the way, is going to introduce you to the whole book of Acts. See, so your observation in terms of and I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to lead you on. Okay. Part of part of the method of Bible study, also, by the way, is going to involve correlation. Are there some other passages, by the way, that deals with a similar kind of situation? What are they? Can you think of them offhand? Okay. That's that. That's your accent one eight. Okay. The pat. The, the passage in uh, Mark 12. Okay, well, you have a similar situation. Peter, by the way, comes to Jesus and says uh, about the temple tax. Right, remember? And what does he do? Tell him to go fish. And he draws the thing out. Should we pay the temple tax? Okay, so you want to look at that. Romans 13. What does it tell you? Should we... Well, yeah, you're supposed to bear authority. Uh, when, uh, what is it, Peter and James, was it, were thrown into prison and they told them, don't preach in that name anymore? What did he tell them? So you're, you're dealing with those kinds of issues. How do you relate to government and how do you relate to God. See, now we're dealing with the issues of <laughs> correlation, which gets you into the application. That's your whole process. That's, that's, where, that's where we're going with this. Uh, that had to do with the, uh, the end of chapter 12. No, it was, it was at the at the end of the passage where Jesus asked them uh, questions. And, oh, 
And the end of the passage says, where the guy says, uh, uh, the, the two greatest commandments are, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus' answer was, you're not far from the kingdom of God. What's your next question? Hmm? What's your next question? How do you get to the kingdom of God? See? And Jesus is pushing these people toward that. See? That That's where your observation, interpretation, and application are going to come from. It's going to come from the context, and it's going to come from correlation with the rest of the word of God. See, it makes you ask questions. It makes you ask questions, and it makes you ask questions of what? Of the text. Okay? You can go beyond the text, by the way, but when you go beyond the text, you don't have any authority. And if you don't have any authority for what you do, why are you doing it? Talk this course up, will you? Talk up Ephesians. Because this is this is what this is what Paul and I and the elders want to see happen. We want to see people in the Word for themselves. We want to see people growing. That's why Paul and I are calling this. And, you know, I guess we haven't emphasized it enough, but when you come to the text, your prayer should be, Lord, teach me what you would have me to know. Um, you know, if you come just, I'm going to do this method without any thought of the Lord, then you're going to miss a whole lot. But if you come with a prayer on your lips that, Lord, teach me, then I think that you will gain a lot, lot more out of, of the Word. You know, one of the things that, like in the upper room, upper room discourse, Jesus oftentimes mentions understanding. He says, you, you don't understand now, but you will understand, will understand later. And I, I think there's a process in how God uses his word. Is first, we have to understand his word, take it in and understand it. And then as we understand it, then the Holy Spirit uses that word to, to work changes in our life. So um, th- there is a process, and one of those is just understanding and, and, and learning, and then God takes that and uses that.